everyone, my name is Abby Bonnet and you're listening to Gourmand, a show set on empowering the next generation of food lovers and leaders. In today's episode, I sat down with Karina Garcia from Cocina Consuelo. We discussed her journey of opening a pop-up during the pandemic, how community and connection is formed through food, the process of opening their future brick and mortar, and so much more. So let's dig in. Welcome to Gourmand, Karina. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, So I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. Um, Where did you grow up and how did your childhood influence your interest in food? Um, Well, I grew up in the Dominican Republic in Santo Domingo, to be more specific. So it's a coastal city um, in the Dominican Republic. So I am an island girl. I am a Caribbean girl. Um, And... I grew up there till I was about 10 years old, but prior to that, my childhood was always, um, my thoughts about my childhood, when I think about it, has always been surrounded by food. Um, and not necessarily because there was an abundance of it, but because I the I, I saw the things that food kind of um, uh, invoked in people and in relationships as, at, at an early age. So I just, ever since I can remember, um, food has always been a part of who I am, not necessarily a family thing um, or anything that my my childhood or the people around me um, kind of like focus on. It was just, you know, obviously you eat because you have to eat. But I just realized that, you know, once you were eating and you were at the table, things were different, you know, um, regardless if it wasn't us having like a feast or um kind of like focusing around the food yeah totally no I definitely feel that I think something changes when you all get around a table together and start eating for sure yeah yeah um so did you always know that you wanted to pursue a career in food or is that something that came later on always always knew since I was a little girl I my earliest memories which is funny because somebody else also asked me this question um my earliest memory of of being around food was um stirring a pot of beans and the beans falling on me and that's such a traumatic thing to happen to to a kid I was like maybe three four years old and that just like stayed in my mind forever um but instead of me trying to run away from the food and the fire in the kitchen it just like pushed me towards wanting to be in the kitchen even more but ever since I could remember I knew I wanted to be a chef um that I wanted to be a cook that I wanted to be in the line of hospitality in some way um so yeah definitely growing up in the Dominican Republic and in the Caribbean the climate and the foods that I was exposed to actually my home um growing up in the Dominican Republic I had a bunch of um vegetables and fruit trees and just an abundance of um, uh, fruit trees and and food that once I came here, it was definitely very different. I I I took it for granted because I you know you're in you're in the Caribbean, you're in the climate, you see all these foods that are there for you, um, and then coming here and noticing that things are not the same way because it's a more different city than the one that I grew up in. Even though I grew up in a city, it's a different city where with with more. Um, uh, access to food in a different way um so definitely growing up there and 
and being able to go to the backyard and and grab fruits from the tree or coconut or eggplant or you name it and then just cooking it in your you know feet away from where you grabbed it um, definitely changed the way I saw food yeah for sure I feel like definitely being able to pick food and then immediately cook it would give you a more like a greater appreciation for where a food comes from and um you know like transforming it from the plant into the dish is is really cool yes um, but, but also too like me as a kid I didn't see that as I saw it as being normal you know I thought that that's the way that food was supposed to be and well it is the way it's supposed to be but once you you have it then you know in hindsight and I looking back it's like oh it's not the way everyone lives and it's not the way we all see food yeah totally I think that's a really good perspective to have um and I'm really glad your bean incident didn't deter you from food <laughs> <laughs> no. it's funny but it didn't you will think you think it would but <laughs> that's that's my life I run into the things that you know hurt me (laughs) (laughs) yeah like fire Um, yeah no that's so funny um so I'd love to talk a little bit about like your educational background um since Gourmand is made up of a lot of college students it would be great to hear about your experience both in culinary school and at Berkeley and how your courses influence your career development sure well you to to also to emphasize in the um, word that you said, um, my education, you know, a lot of it came from watching other people cook, you know, came from watching, uh, my aunt cooking, um, the neighbors cooking next to me, my, my own experience with fire. Um, like I mentioned earlier, just being able to go to the backyard and start, um, playing with food. You know, when I was a kid, I I've been cooking since, I'm, you know, three, four years old and, you know, not not technically cooking, but, you know, setting up some uh, cylinders of like blocks and, and starting a fire and, and uh, playing around with food, you know, so um, definitely learned a lot with, with those experiences. And then watching my aunt cook, she was a vegetarian. um, So a lot of my food were vegetarian because she was vegetarian, but she made it so delicious that I didn't know that I was vegetarian, you know, or I wouldn't say that I was because she, I would eat meat, but most of my diet consisted of vegetables because my aunt, um, uh, that was her, her, her thing, you know, and definitely watching her transform vegetables into something that, you know, was amazing that everyone loved. That was definitely something that later on in, in, in my years, I realized that I was so lucky to, to have that into my diet and to experience that and be exposed to all these vegetables and all the, the ways that she prepare them. Uh, also, my the house that I grew up was very open. So the house was, the doors were always open. The, the backyard was open, there was no fences and also the neighbor's house too. So there was a lot of cooking with fire in the, in the backyard. So there was also that me watching my neighbors cook, setting up the fire, uh, putting the pot in the fire and, and, and me watching that, I definitely, um, learned so much from it. I didn't realize it at the moment, but then once I was an adult and I, you know, revisiting those memories, um, that was definitely something that I've learned a lot from. Um, and then subsequently I knew that I had to go to culinary school. Um, I didn't know what it, what it was, um, 
because I had a different idea of what culinary school would be like, but definitely was something that taught me not necessarily how to cook because I think that um, that's very personal, um, especially it's, it's very creative. So um, someone could give you a recipe, but if you if you don't know the technique or if you don't understand the basics, um, you you know you're not going to be able to execute that that recipe. Um, so definitely culinary school taught me you know the basics, the science you know behind uh searing versus frying and and those things you know that you you know them um in in theory and if you've done some cooking you under you know what it is but once you put them into context and and into and and then into practice you understand that more um so definitely culinary school uh taught me those things you know the names of the cuts and and why you, you call this you know when you sear something versus uh poaching it you know those things that you've that I've done before or I've seen before people doing them but I didn't have a language for it you know um so definitely uh it was a, a good experience in that way and then um because I knew I've, I it's so funny because this is what I've always wanted to do my entire life so I've I knew that I had to know more than just know how to cook you know, if you if you want to make this a business, you have to also be um, understanding of the numbers and what it takes to to run a successful business. So I went to call, um to business school and and got a degree in business administration, um just to kind of like round up all my knowledge and all the things that I was learning to make sure that at some point when the um the opportunity to open my own place uh will come I was prepared to the best of my abilities to to be successful once that happened yeah definitely no I really like how you articulated that how and it's really important to recognize that education is not just like you know sitting in a classroom it's all the people that you've encountered along the way and all the people that you've interacted with um to kind of grow all the knowledge that you have today so that's really important um so tell me about your experience working at 11 Madison Park. Um, what did you learn from working there and how do you implement that today? Yes. Well, just to take it also a little back to me getting there, right? Um, I've always set goals in my life, especially in my career. Um, not necessarily that I've achieved all of them <laughs> by any stretch of the, of the imagination, but I have always been very... Um, Go forward, um, and and had aspirations and things that I wanted to make sure that I did, and definitely working in a three Michelin star was one of those things. I didn't think I was going to be able to do that, and I didn't. I I I thought that the path to Michelin was to work my ass and off off in a in a restaurant, go to culinary school, go to all the work at all the restaurants that weren't Michelin to make it there. However, it was not my experience um once I went there. Well it was it wasn't everybody experience once I was in uh the restaurant. Um so just to like put an emphasis on that. Like sometimes you you want to do something and you have it in your mind of the the way that the things that you want have to like you have to do before you get them 
not it's not like that all the time sometimes you have to take risks sometimes um you have to go for it um and not necessarily that it's something that I wish I did before but now that I know that the industry works that way I probably would have tried to 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 work at a Michelin star restaurant before um diving into you know the small restaurants or um, thinking that I had to have a degree to go into a place like that um, and to be worthy. But at the end of the day, if you have to drive for it, I think um, you could definitely make it into those places. So to answer your question, um, it was definitely, you know, looking back into the experience, definitely very hard, uh, not only um, challenging in a professional um, aspect, but in a in a personal aspect, it was very, very challenging. I've never worked, um, you know, 17, 18 hours in a row, three days in a row before in my life. Um, so definitely uh, it tests you physically as well and mentally. And then just uh, striving for perfection every single day, every single second. Um, it's something that once you see what it is that someone's vision is and all the steps and everything that they're willing to go through to make sure their vision is accomplished, um, it's something that um, when you're in that space and you're you're making it happen, you kind of like forget that that is why you're doing it because somebody else has a vision and the vision has to be, you know, there every single time, every single second. Um, it's something that I take with me now that I am my own, um, you know, my own uh, boss in a way, you know. I think also going back to what you said before, um, it's so important to emphasize that everybody's path is different and there's not a blueprint that you have to follow to like, you know, go to culinary school, work in this restaurant, work in this restaurant, and then you've made it. Like there's so many different paths you can take. And if I've learned anything, you know, from doing this podcast is that the food industry is just so like rich and there's so many things happening that there's like everybody's path is going to look different. And that doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong or you're doing something right. Um, so that's really important, I think, to talk about. Um, okay. So then, um, COVID hit and you started your pop-up. So I'd love to hear about your experience with starting Cocina Consuelo and what it was like starting a business during the pandemic. Cocina Consuelo started basically out of necessity. And before that, which I have definitely have to give my husband some credit, um, my husband and I met before um, I was, we were working at Michelin restaurant and he moved from Mexico to be with me and to pursue a relationship with, with me. So I, I thought that was kind of crazy and odd. I wasn't even sure if that was like the right move for him to do, but God bless him. He did. I'm not sure if I would have done that myself. Um, but he came from Mexico um, on a tourist visa, which is supposed to be just six months, but he stayed. And I'm like, you sure this is what you want to do? Because once you stay, you know, and then you try to go back and then you can't, you know, the whole thing, right? Um, so when we were dating, uh, we weren't married just yet, but when we were dating, I would um, call his grandma, call his aunts, call his mom and 
uh, asked them for recipes so I could make uh, make them for him. So I would make food for him and chiles and stews and soups and things of that nature. And he would tell me, wow, this really tastes like my grandma's food or my aunt's food or my mom's food or whatever, whoever's food it was. Um, and he said, why don't we do something with your food? And I'm like, what do you mean my food is like, you're, you're, you're the, the food that you're making for me right now, my, my family's recipes. I'm like, no, you know, I can't do that. Well, no, I wasn't sure yet where my, where my space in the culinary world was because I was so focused on the things that I wanted to do. Like, okay, I worked at a two and a three star restaurant. Then I want to work at a Michelin star restaurant. And then I want to do this and I want to do the other. So I kind of like had a path now that I hit all those things, but I tried to, so I knew that I wanted to do some things and, and move forward from there. So I wasn't necessarily in the kitchen just yet. I left the kitchen a few years back. I was focusing more in the, you know, um, service aspect of it. Cause again, like I said, I wanted to make sure that I knew lots of the things that happened within the restaurant, aside from just cooking. Cooking has always been my passion. I want to be involved with food, but it, there's so much more than just cooking. You know, there's so much more than creating recipes. There's so much more than uh, being in the line or, you know, creating um, sheets for for making sure you have all your prices and pricing out food. There's so much more than that. You know, there's also the the service aspect, how how you how the guests feel, the 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 connect, not just the connection, but the the interaction that guests are having to make sure that the food and the service go to par. So I understood that and I knew that I wanted to to be um, in the front of the house and 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 learn those things, you know, because, yes, I, I could be have I could have a bubbly personality. I could be great with other people. But how do I put that into a professional setting and make sure that I thrive and understand what it is that makes good service? And then tie that with the food. You know, um, so I was like, definitely, I can't do that. I'm not going to take your family's recipe and start cooking. You know, this is not my food. Um, so I didn't necessarily like listen to him then when he said that. So when the pandemic hit, I'm going to tie everything up. You'll see. So when the pandemic hit, um, he's like, okay, we should do something with your tacos. I'm like, what do you mean? You you don't, because he's not in the industry. So he's, even though he worked at restaurants, he was in the front of the house. So that's the thing too. Like I feel because I've done both things, I understand a little more of and in, in my own in my own uh, abilities what it is that that I can do and cannot do. So a lot of the times when you're in the front of the house, you just think like, oh, you know, fire an entree, like just make it now, you know, like. Or anything like that, when something goes wrong in, in the floor, you're like, oh, but can you just make it again? Can you just like switch this for this? And when you don't understand how the kitchen runs and you're in the front of the house, you think that anything is possible. It's not, you know, it's just not, that's not the way it works. Um, my husband telling me, oh, you have to do something with your tacos. I'm like, you don't understand what it takes to make a good taco. You know, I can't just buy a regular tortilla. I can't do that. I most likely... I'm going to have to get amazing corn, most likely grind the corn myself, 
nixtamalize the corn. There are so many steps that go into making a good taco that I don't know of. So I can't, I can't do this. So um, the pandemic hit and we were literally on our last dollars. I think we had like a hundred bucks. When I'm telling you, that's all we had because we were paying our bills. We're like, okay, it's going to be two weeks. You know, um, it's going to be two weeks. Things are going to be fine. So we have a hundred bucks and he's like, let's do something with your taco. So I think two, three days before I made him a birria taco. So this is June of 2020. I don't think birria was just a thing. It was just becoming something. So I made the birria. He's like, okay, let's make birria tacos. And I'm like, listen, we only have a hundred bucks. Like we make birria tacos and we sell them. That's all we're going to have. Like this thing better work. This is all we have, you know? And um, so we decided to invite some friends over, um, from his side of his, of the restaurant where he was working up on Cosme, there were tons of Mexicans. So I was very, very, um, afraid to, to give them Mexican food. No, yes. My husband is eating my Mexican food and he's saying that it's tasty, but he's my husband, you know, like, of course he's going to say that, you know, he's not going to say it's bad. So, or maybe, <laughs> so um, we decided to invite some of his friends, some of my friends, and I made birria and they ate it and they really, really liked it. They stayed in the apartment till probably midnight, if not more, but we were just hanging out and eating. And some of them were saying, hey, you know, this is something, maybe you could do something with what you just did. You know, this was really nice. I think people would pay to, to have this. So this was on a Friday. And then on Saturday, we decided, okay, we're going to do this. Why not? Let's let's start selling the tacos. So the idea was to have them to go and deliver, right? So the people who were at our house were our friends that we knew from before. So we felt comfortable, especially in the times of, you know, uncertainty, what it was 2020. Um, so fast forward, um, Saturday, they're telling other people that we have a restaurant, and that they have to come to our restaurant to eat birria. That's all I was doing was birria tacos. That's all we had money for, you know? So next thing you know, people are knocking on our door saying, hey, somebody said there's a restaurant. So-and-so said there's a restaurant here. And we're just standing there baffled. We're like, well, yes, we have tacos for there to go. We don't, we didn't even have plates or anything. We just have like those 99 cent containers, you know, um, you can eat it here if you like, but it's going to be on our plates, you know, you're going to sit here in this, in this Ikea table that is wobbly because we, you know, it's a pandemic. It's been two months. We were not focused on eating on a nice table at home because we were working every single day for so many hours, you know? So it was definitely uh, just an incredible time because we were not expecting for Cocina Consuelo to develop to what it was. Again, we started it out of necessity when we had so much money on our pocket and um, we just took uh, a chance on ourselves and what started as, hey, let's see if we could take this hundred bucks and make 200 bucks. So we can have a little money in our pocket because now we don't have anything because we've been paying our bills on time, which I, you know, now that I, I see everything that has happened, I could have waited instead of paying my rent, you know? So, um, what started as, let's just double this money. Um, 
developed into what it is today. You know, it's been very organic. It's been very um, eye-opening to see the things that can happen when the community is around you and people believing you and people enjoy what you do. Um, it's it's very humbling for sure. Yeah, no, that's such an incredible story to hear about. You know, it's starting from just like a dinner you have with friends and now evolving into so much more than that. So that's so cool. And it must've been such a comfort for people to like in the depths of the pandemic to be able to come and just have some delicious birria tacos from you. Um, so that's so cool. So um, kind of like evolving since the start with your tacos, um, tell me more about like your style of cooking for Cocina Consuelo and how do you combine your experience working in like Michelin restaurants with uh, traditional Mexican cuisine. And if you want to touch a little bit on how um, you took recipes that maybe weren't yours to begin with, but maybe made them your own. The whole thing when it came to cooking these recipes and cooking Mexican food was very troubling for me and still is. I'm just getting comfortable with the idea that this is what I am doing um, because you know, I am not Mexican. My husband is, and now my daughter is too, half Mexican. Um, so when it came to to the menus that we were doing at Cocina Consuelo, like I said, we started with the birria taco and that was just something, okay, hey, um, my husband really liked this recipe. Um, let's give this to, to, to our guests, you know? And then from there, um, we just had other people that were vegetarian or pescatarians and um, I not only, um, had recipes from his, his family, but also from, you know, reading and trying to understand, um, how the flavors worked. And then also I've traveled to Mexico many, many times before meeting my husband. So I kind of had an idea of the complexity of the flavors, um, and, and how to develop them. So when we started the taco journey, um, and then developing other recipes that were traditional. Um, I knew that the things that we've learned, because he worked at Cosme, so um, it was a, a nice restaurant. Well, it is a nice restaurant. And, and so was the place that I was working before at EMP. So what what we both did is that I, I now understood not only the front of the house, but not the back of the house. And the things that I you know, learned and they stayed with me was service, you know, how do I take, you know, the things that I'm doing with the home style cooking and not necessarily change them because there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with home style food. I think it's just as delicious and as beautiful and aesthetically pleasing um, to the eye. So how do I get this great service that I've, that I've learned, right. And apply it to what I'm doing at home, because remember I'm cooking from my apartment. Um, and just to, to put, put it into perspective it's a really, really old apartment. It's a five floor walk up with like the, the highest and the steepest stairs so you could think of. Right. Um, so how do I, now that people are willing to come to our home, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, you know, in the middle of people getting sick, in the middle of people 
um, being told that they can't eat at a restaurant uh, and they're choosing to come here to eat with us. Um, how do we make their experience the best experience that we can offer them um, to the best of our abilities and and then stay true to, to the homestyle cooking that we're doing. So definitely um, learning and, and um, applying things that made sense to what we were doing um, and um, making things and having things happen with intentionality uh, was definitely something that uh, we made sure that we we applied. So given, given what you just said, um, what are some of your signature dishes at Cocina Consuelo? Okay, so this is, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a signature dish, but it's something that we, um, decided to make every single day or not every single day but every time that we host um because it's the first thing that we started doing so it's the birria so um my husband uh, just very early on when we were doing um just the tacos because it evolved from the tacos to to dinners and things like that so um very early on he said hey why don't you roast a bone marrow and you put the the taco in the bone marrow so instead of the tortilla we'll put it into the bone marrow so we did that and it was an instant hit and people love it so I would say that um it's just a, a wonderful thing to 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 start the dinners with and and that um and 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 it's a it's a nice uh, dish that once you have it at the table it just it emphasizes what it is that we're doing, that we're creating community. There's people on the table, you're eating with your hands. And I'm a very big advocate of eating with your hands and, and tactile and sensations and textures. So just having this huge bone marrow on your table filled with, you know, meat that's just like falling, you know, because it's so tender and pickled onions and cilantro and salsa. And then there are tortillas in the table and then, having to share the tortillas and then having to, um, you know, share the, the, the bone marrow and you, you grabbing it with your hand. So uh, that's definitely very, it's just like emphasizes truly what it is that we're creating. And the dish is just, it's just perfect. Yeah, totally. No, that sounds delicious. And it actually brings me into the next question that I was going to ask you is, um, you know, you said that you started with um, inviting friends over and people that you knew, and then it's evolved into you serving, you know, strangers and people who have come to your place to eat. So how do you use your pop-up to promote community and human connection um, among strangers? Well, I think um, it's not something that I necessarily do or that we do, um, but it's what the people, like what already Cocina Consuelo is doing on its own, right? So it's not necessarily me as the person. I think Cocina Consuelo has evolved to, to, to be that. You know, when you intentionally go to somebody's home to eat, and you know they're a stranger to you, that already says a lot about you. So that's already breaking the ice. Just the the thought of you, the action of you going to somebody's home to eat, already speaks volumes. So. Um, once you like again once you're in our home and then talking about intentionality and how we applied all the things that I've that we've learned in in the industry 
Um, it's that, how do I make this person com comfortable? Um, how do we um, create a space where people are safe to, to be vulnerable, you know? Uh, because now you're in somebody's home, the first dish you get, if you're not vegetarian or vegan, it's, it's just bone marrow, you know, with the tortillas on a pouch. And then, you know, now we're among strangers eating. So, so just that again, with that first dish and then the fact that you're in our home, um, just starts already, um, to on its own to unravel and to, to have people in a, in a space where, you know, now we've created couples, you know, we've have friends and even though, yes, we have strangers come to, cause we still do the pop-ups, um, from our home, not for long, <laughs> um, what started as having strangers and what it, what it is still having strangers, there's always a connection to those strangers. You either know somebody that knows somebody and that's how you know Cocina Consuelo because um, aside from the things that people have written about us and the places that have featured us, we don't do any promotion ourselves. Uh, it's not something that um, uh, fits with what we're doing and who we are um, in this stage of what Cocina Consuelo is. So the community was created by Cocina Consuelo, by the people that came here, not necessarily us. So uh, when we have tables, rarely, I will say in the three years we've done Cocina Consuelo, we'd had maybe a dozen people, a dozen tables that not a single person we knew that knew somebody else that had no connection to Cocina Consuelo. So that is beautiful in, in my eyes. Yes, I love the fact that people keep coming back and people that know people keep coming back. Um, but knowing that it's only been such a chosen few of people that have not been able to, to have a connection direct to, to directly to, to us. It's, I think it's, it's just amazing. So to answer your question, I think the community is created by the people that come here and on its own organically, we don't have to do much. Yeah, no, totally. I really like how you said that. And and it's really amazing to see how the community can just grow organically without you really like having to manipulate it in any way, which is really cool and special. Yes. And 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 I think again, going back to to intentionality, it is it was very intentional, you know, to do that, to make sure that um, because again, people are coming to our home. This is our safe space, our sacred space, you know. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. I love that. Um, okay, so I also read that you refer to yourself as a food ethnographer, which I find really interesting. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit more about what that looks like for you? In theory, what it is, is, is you know, observing people and food and, and, and society and what that does. Also, and I think that applies a lot to the way that we do things here at Cocina Consuelo, which is Cocina Consuelo has become what it is because we we step back and look at what it is that we're doing and the 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 response that people are having with our food and what it is that we're creating. Um, and then not only observing it, but how do we apply it to the next dinner? How do we apply it to what it is that we're doing to to the brand, to what Cocina Consuelo has evolved. So 
that is part of it. Also, just um, you know, from from starting to call to call his family in Mexico to get the recipes to understand um, the ingredients to um, going to little towns in Mexico to get recipes from grandmas and aunties and to watch them um, cook the food, but understanding where the ingredients are coming from and and just the, the history behind it, you know, and, and really digging into the recipes, you know. And then um, I've done some studies in uh, Mexican co uh, culinary university where I don't only learned about necessarily about food, but the history behind um, why we eat what we eat and how we eat it not necessarily just oh there's something here and and this is why the dish is what it is but there's there's a reason why it came to be what it is so just understanding that and um in in detail gives me an ability to to be able to create new things and then to give them a place not only on the plate but in history, you know, why we did this and 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 why we cook it a certain way and why we're using this technique and why it's served this way. So just um the you know studying and learning that never stops and that's part of it, the the ethnography that 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 I do here at Cocina Cosado. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think that really speaks to what you were saying before about intentionality, like both being intentional about the food that you're cooking, but also understanding the intentionality behind the history of the dishes. Yeah, yeah, and then also with even here in the city, you know, to to take it a little more um, like contemporary, you know, why I was just having a conversation with somebody that it's it's very um, involved in the in the food uh, scene, and this person was telling me, you know, why is it that we get all this type of restaurants and this type of foods and this and the other and then oh why does it cost this and the other? so a lot of it too is just also our reaction um to to the food scene and how us as consumers also are part of of the changes and are part of what it is that we're getting when you step into a restaurant yeah definitely and i think that's a great segue into talking about um opening up your storefront so What's the transition been like between hosting your pop-up supper club dinners to opening a brick and mortar? Um, well, the transition, it's it, it's kind of in a gray area right now because we're still doing dinners. We're still doing pop-ups. We're still doing catering events. And then we're also working towards opening this space. Um so it's just been very eye-opening, um, very, very different from obviously working at a restaurant or working from home. Um, and again, it's just another bet that we're taking on ourselves and on our dreams and um, not sure what that would look like a month from now or two months from now. But I think that's the beauty of it. It's just um, when you do things, not only with intentionality, but with um with a lot of pride and um, love and respect what it is that you're doing, um, the path it will just open up. So um, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and 
that reminds me of what people have been talking about uh, on previous episodes is that they consider their pop-up business to be almost like a, like a experiment, a micro experiment for um, starting like the most ethical and sustainable business that they can. Um, so does that ring true for Cocina Consuelo? And if so, like, how are you implementing those types of lessons from your pop-up into the brick and mortar? Um, I wouldn't call it an, exper an experiment because it's already happening. And at least for like, once something is happening and you've done it for so long, but I'm not necessarily think it's an experiment. Um, we already doing a lot of that, you know, we, we source our food locally and ethically and 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 we build relationships with farmers and and make sure that um at least for me this is very important because i knew that if i was if i were to open a restaurant it had to be or or anything that would be a brick and mortar it had to be um close to where i grew up here in harlem so when i came when i was 10 years old i moved to uh, the cusp of harlem and uh sugar hill um, my mom still lives there, so it's just beautiful that everything has come 360. Um, and I knew that it had to be uh, close to where I grew up, close to the neighborhood that, you know, when I walked out the street, I, I recognized the people and they recognized me, you know. Um, so now that I am opening my own place, and obviously it's a challenge obviously it is nothing like opening a pop-up it is nothing like working for somebody else this is different you know it's a little more uh tangible almost and yes it is because the space is there you know so um definitely I'm I will be able to apply the the things that I'm doing here at Cocina Consuelo in the restaurant you know sourcing quality ingredients, making sure that um, obviously now I'm actually feeding my community, which is what I've always done, but this is this is a little more close to home than anything. It's, this is literally steps away from the home that I still go to, that my mom still is in. So um, just just that, that of being part of the community that I grew up in, it's just, you know, still can't believe that I'm able to say those words. And then the things that I'm that we're doing here at Cocina Consuelo, um, which is obviously um, a place where people feel comfortable enough that they could call our Cocina Consuelo their home or a place that they they feel um, taken care of. Um, it's taking that feeling there in in a permanent place. So that's definitely something that we're very focused on. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. Um, and that actually brings me into my next question. Um, I was reading on your website about how you're being really intentional about involving the community and the planning of your new space. Um, so you talked about it a little bit, but can you elaborate a little bit more about what that looks like and why that was important to you when opening um, your business? Well, <clears throat> to start off, obviously opening in my community, you know, um, that that's definitely... I would say the biggest point is that um, it's opening where, you know, a, a place that it's home to me in, in all the sense of the word, you know. Um, and one way that we're doing that is because we, 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 I am part of the community. I have a daughter that I'm raising in this community. Um, and what Cocina Consuelo is, 
has already been part of this community. Um, I would say that just just listening to 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 all the guests that for the last three years have been coming, who are already part of what Cocina Consuelo is, that is keeping the community, um, uh, in, you know, aware, and also keeping them part of of what the brick and mortar will be like, you know. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. So how do you see the world of pop-ups having changed since you first started? And um, especially considering like how COVID impacted the pop-up world and what do you see as the role of pop-ups and separate clubs in a post-pandemic city? Hmm, that's a great question. Actually, <clears throat> I, I've heard of pop-ups before, uh, but in a different context. I heard of people cooking out of their home um, but maybe one or two people that I've ever heard of, and this is in my entire years that I've lived here in New York. Um, so I have heard of things like that. Yeah, so I have heard of like maybe two people that have cooked from their apartment, but they weren't necessarily uh, cooking on a continuous basis like we were, like what, what we were doing every single weekend, right? I heard of people doing, oh, once a month or once every so often, they create this feast for this party, right? Um, so I wasn't really aware that um, people were cooking out of their place and doing it on a continuous basis. This is something that you see a lot in, you know, in 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 Mexico or the Dominican Republic. This is very, very common. This is very, very, you know, the thing that when you go out to eat fast food or your antojitos or things that you that you're craving you go to someone's home who who set up a tent or lights and chairs and tables in their front in their front porch you know so this is very very common um I grew up eating like that I when I go travel this is what I look for right so here in the city I've like I said, I probably heard of one or two that I didn't even know the names of. So what I, I did realize is that a lot of people who were in who are in the industry and were cooking and and working at restaurants saw this as their opportunity to 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 start a business um, and to you know and and to to show their 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 craft to others you know, people want to cook. Let us cook. Yeah, no, that makes sense though, because I, I really like how you talked about how I feel like other countries do a much better job at like promoting these types of businesses. Like in New York, there's so many, and, and I guess in the U.S. in general, there's so many more regulations and like zoning laws and stuff that kind of make it more difficult for people to open these businesses out of their homes or, um, you know, to do street vending and things like that. So um, it's really interesting to hear your experience. And then also like, um, you know, like kind of juxtaposing that to like what happens in other countries. Okay, wonderful. So I'd love to hear about um, what advice you would give to, you know, students and young people who are looking to enter the food industry. Oof. That's a hard one because, you know, like, like we touched on earlier, it's, there's not a blueprint, you know, your path is your path and, um, what, whatever that looks like, it's, it's the right path for you. 
Um, but when it comes to the food and um, what we are giving people, I think that my advice would be just to to remember that we are feeding people not only um, are they ingesting something that they're putting into their body. So how can we make sure that we are nourishing people? You know, it's not just about how beautiful it looks on a plate and um, the picture for the for the social media, you know, um, but just understanding that feeding someone is a huge responsibility, you know, um, not only you have to be hygienic, but um, the person who's putting something in their body that is so personal, you know, that it is so personal. Um, they're not just going to ingest it, but they're going to feed from it. You know, they need it to, to, to survive. Literally, we need food to survive. So how do we make sure that we are giving people not only the best quality, but we're making sure that it is good for them. And then also um, doing things with a good energy, you know, energy and, and food go hand in hand. Um we have to make sure that we're doing it this for the right reasons, at least for me, that's how I feel. Do it with the right reasons, with tons tons of love, because it's going to translate into the food. Um, and then you're giving it to somebody, you know? So um, I think that's that's just a huge responsibility to, to be able to feed people and have them eat your food. And then um, for them to to feel and see your love through that food, you know, that they're putting into their bodies. So. Yeah, totally. No, I love how you said that, how big of a responsibility it is to feed people and how much more goes into feeding people than just the food tasting good. Like there's so much more behind it. Um, yeah. That's really important. Okay. Wonderful. So I love to end with a couple of rapid fire questions just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is, what is your favorite music to listen to while you cook? Ooh, while I cook, um, rapid fire, rapid fire, uh, bachata. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I love that. Like you have to have good energy while you're cooking. Um, and what is your favorite comfort food? Ooh, my favorite comfort food are plantains, sweet plantains. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. And then this is a little less rapid, but um, <laughs> someone else in the industry that's doing something cool that you'd like to shout out. La Tropiquiche. Oh yeah. That, that was our, our most recent episode. She was on the show, Stephanie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. No, I love her. Great. Where can the listeners keep up with Cocina Consuelo? Um, the listeners can keep up with Cocina Consuelo on Instagram. Uh, we're very um, active on that platform. So Instagram for sure. And on our website, cocinacocelonyc.com. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Gourmand podcast. It was such a pleasure to have you, Karina. Um, yeah, I learned so much from talking to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun and um, I'm excited for, for what the Gourmand has to offer. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap on this week's episode with Karina Garcia. If you enjoyed, be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Gourmand Community.